Thursday conversation, Thursday roundtable conversation. And on Thursdays, we talk about yoga and how to use this ancient wisdom and teaching to help us through this crisis, but also to help us in life. So, um, you know, obviously many people are familiar with yoga as a form of exercise, as a form of fitness, really. Uh, and, you know, obviously as yoga instructors, uh, Molly's a yoga therapist, we're familiar with it in, in a deeper way, in a, in a more of a wisdom tradition way. And of course, like with any wisdom tradition, you can certainly use it as a um, as a philosophy, as advice to live your life by, which is, you know, why these things are, have been in existence for thousands of years. And, or you can use it as a spiritual or like connection to a higher power kind of a, kind of a, you know, kind of a thing. But either way, it has value. And particularly when we're trying to get through this difficult time, it is, um it is incredibly helpful so my thought is today i wanted to just sort of take a step back and help people understand the landscape of yoga so um, yoga was introduced to the west in the late 1800s and um much more recently so that you know, the, the kind of yoga that people, you know, when they think of yoga, they think of down dog, they're in these flow classes, like warrior two, downward facing dog, right? So where did that come from? Why is it that, you know, most yoga classes in the West, you know, um, why are we doing those postures and in, in this very specific way? And so my thought is, today we start to explore that a little bit further. And um, so we've been trained, Angela and I actually went through the same teacher training. So we have a lot of the same training. Molly has been trained in a slightly different form of yoga called Kundalini yoga. And, um, what I wanted to start to talk about today comes out of the Ashtanga teaching. And again, these, you know, Ashtanga, uh, or Iyengar, these were two guys who were taught by the same guy, right? To keep it really simple for today. Um, and ultimately uh, have very similar postures, but different philosophies about the way that these asanas are put together in sequencing. And so, and then slightly different ways of conceptualizing um, the yoga sutras, but ultimately we're sort of, you know, we're in a, the same realm. So what I wanted to talk about today is called the eight limbs of yoga. And this is a particular philosophy that comes out of the Ashtanga teaching. Um, and over time, we'll discuss this in a lot more depth. But I think I'm um, trying to just keep it really, really basic for today so that anybody can begin to benefit from the teachings of yoga. So given that the eight limbs of yoga can be also pretty complex. Um, you know, I wanted to maybe just stick with a few, um, you know, maybe just sort of like the, the basic um, understanding of some of those eight limbs, which are sort of like eight tools, 
is another way I would conceptualize the eight limbs of yoga, eight tools or ways that we um, can be easily reminded of ways to live our life or concepts to live our lives by. And so one of those tools that I definitely want to talk about today is pranayama or breath work, right? So that's definitely one thing that I wanted to uh, make sure we get to because as we are obviously aware, we're dealing with anxiety, everyone is at a kind of a heightened state of fight or flight right now. And breath work is an extremely useful place to turn to really regulate our body, to regulate how we're feeling. But remembering as we discuss all of this, that the asanas, which are one limb of yoga, the asanas are only one piece, those are also designed to, again, it's all about breath and the body in motion. And so um, keeping that thread of being present, keeping the, the, you know, understanding there's a thread through all of our limbs that we're going to talk about is um, important too. So, and I know Angela, you had a certain place that you wanted to start today. So before we get into the breath piece, I was thinking maybe we could kind of hear from you about what it is that you, um, how it is you would start or, you know, support somebody in thinking about how to begin to use these eight limbs to support them through what we're going through now. So, um, well, I've been doing a lot of uh, self-study lately. Um, and so in thinking about yoga, not just as the physical practice, but also as more of a internal spiritual practice. Um, thinking about, you know, with the eight limbs, <laughs> the yamas and the niyamas, which are two of the eight. And um, those two have to do with the external, right? Because there's like the limbs that have to do with the outside um, and how, you know, we behave externally out in the world and then how we um, behave internally or, or not behave internally but how you know when we go inside and we go in in um, inward mm -hmm. so in thinking about you know how we behave out in the world the two that I've been looking at are the yamas and the niyamas mm -hmm. um, and the yamas can be thought about as you know how we behave towards other people um, and then you know, the niyamas can be thought about how we behave towards ourselves, right? So um, some examples of a yama would be ahimsa, for example, right? So um, non-harming is, is another way of thinking of ahimsa. And, you know, that has to do with, you know, not just physical harm to others, but also, um, you know, how we, how we think about, you know, ourselves and our thoughts are in our dialogue, right? So is that, um, is it supportive or is it something that is doing us a disservice, right? Um, so, you know, thinking about harm, not just in the physical sense, but also um, in, in a broader sense. Uh, another one, what else? Let me think for a second. <laughs> um, well, a good one for right now would be a perigraha, right? Because non- non-hoarding is a perigraha and at a time when everyone is you know running out to buy <laughs> certain things and um you know stocking up so to speak uh this is a practice of you know thinking that there is enough for you and there is enough for me right so you know not to say you don't get what you need of course you know um, essentials are important but um in thinking about it 
in terms of others as well. So not just me, 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 and um, but thinking that, you know, there's, there's enough for all of us if, if we maybe act with a little bit more um, moderation, so to speak. Um, so to go back, that those are the yamas, how we behave mm-hmm. outside. Those are two of those, um, two of the five. I think there's five yamas. And then mm-hmm. the niyamas is, is another limb. Um, and that's how we behave towards ourselves, right? So um, spouja is one, and that has to do with cleanliness. Um, you know, that could be cleanliness with your body, with, you know, the information that you put um, into your mind. It could also be your environment, right? Having a very um, non-cluttered, which <laughs> working on that one in a New York apartment and mm-hmm. having a baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, you know, so this practice of cleanliness um, has to do with, you know, hygiene as well for yourself um and then tapas is another one and that's um self-discipline so you know um for if we have a bad habit for example that we're trying to break um tapas encourages us to you know go through the discomfort and and and, um do the work involved with breaking bad habits which we know are really really hard to break and and it takes you know time to change and so um this idea of being disciplined and then kind of what's on the other side of that once you work through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I could keep going, but I feel no, like... No, let's stop there. You know, getting to, There's yeah. such an incredible amount just in what you mm-hmm. just said. So I want to steer this conversation around some of those just to kind of... Because when you think about everything you just listed, it's also a beautiful way to really uh, some guidelines for how to get through this successfully. I mean, everything you mentioned. So this idea of cleanliness, hygiene, I mean, that is like front and center right now on everybody's mind and more so than normal. People talking about maybe the handshake is a thing of the past altogether. So this idea of, you know, cleanliness and in keeping the insides and, um, you know, uh, every aspect, the clutter that you mentioned, all of this sort of good practice for um, how to live. Again, these are guidelines for how to conduct yourself daily, which is what a lot of wisdom traditions will, you know, give us or offer us. But, um, you know, this is part of why I wanted to talk about the eight limbs because I, you know, these are really perfect for what it is that we're experiencing right now. so that was one that you mentioned was, you know, cleanliness. The other that you mentioned, which was non-hoarding, parigraha. So that to me also has to do with um, trust on one hand, trust, an enoughness, practicing sitting in that very present space of um, non, non-hoarding, which also, again, it's sort of, reminds me of that principle of, you know, um, not, not just fairness, you know, Mm -hmm. I have enough, you have enough, not, not that, not also just greed, right. Which is too much like needing, uh, needing so much to be okay, but also, um, knowing that I'm going to have what I need. And sitting in that space of like, no, 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 of course there's going to be what I need when I need it will be there for me. 
and trusting that instead of that space of, oh my God, there's not going to be enough. And when I need toilet paper, it won't be there. And what am I going to do if I don't have any toilet paper? I'm going to have to go out to the store and get more toilet paper. And then I'm going to put myself at risk. And then I'm going to, you know, I mean, and, and again, that's what people yeah. do. And that's what many people live in, you know, perpetually day after day. So these are such wonderful um, practices. They're also wonderful meditation tools, you know, concepts to meditate on. Um, so just sticking with maybe those for a moment, I wonder if Molly, you have anything that you wanted to, cause I know that these are things that you try to practice routinely and, um, may even be able to help with how we can begin to do this in the best possible way. Yeah. Thank you, Angela. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, one of the most sort of helpful tools as a way to kind of, all right, so these are great ideas, guys. These are great concepts. These are kind of nice things to talk about, but like, how do I implement them? How do I track them? How do I, you know, give them more of a framework in, you know, my day in and day out, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it, journaling can be really helpful. Um, these, these are, these principles are also really nicely aligned with 12-step uh, principles. And one of the tools that we use in uh, the 12-step program is a daily inventory. So really kind of looking at each of these both. And you can, you can use the yamas and the niyamas, right? And then sort of evaluate at the end of the day, right, how how did I hit these different, you know, um, concepts in, in my interactions with others? And then in my internal landscape, what were kind of my thoughts and, and what directed my actions today? So it's, it's helpful, you, you know, you can, you can use these, these yamas and these niyamas as a sort of an intention in the beginning of the day, mm -hmm. you know, where, where on the scale do you know, I want to be like, I, as you, you mentioned, Sam, like, is this something that I want to bring into a meditation or like in the morning and, you know, really today, my goal is to really work on non-harming. Okay. Let's like, just to pick one, you know, what mm -hmm. do you want to work on today? And then as a way to kind of hold yourself accountable or to sort of like evaluate, you know, how did I do with this practice today? Sort of at the end of the day, you know, reviewing your actions and your thoughts. So right, ex the external toward others and then the internal towards myself, right? Like, mm -hmm. how did I do? And that, that can kind of help just to give a little bit more uh, structure or um, self to, to in this self-evaluation process, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than it just being like a nice idea that we're kind of talking about. So, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of, yeah, I love this, you know, th the difference between what we need and what we want, right? Mm -hmm. Like, do I have the things that I, I need right now today? Do I have enough toilet paper to get me through the week? Yeah, okay, I do, you know? And if I do run out, right, sort of this, this trust that like, you know, there'll be more somewhere <laughs> that I can get my hands on. And you know what, yeah. if there isn't, then what else do I have in my house that I might be able to make mm -hmm. use of, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is a conversation I just had with my mom. 
my mom, she's like also, you know, doing an inventory of what other paper products she has in the house, right? So how to sort of get creative with the things that you do have, right? Both like the the supplies or, but also, you know, what resources do I have on my insides that I can, you know, make use of today? So you talked about it as sort of like, this greed, I need more, I need more, I need more, which all comes from this fear, right? And, and you said the opposite is trust, right? So trusting I'll have access to what I need when I need it, rather than this sort of fear, you know, that I'm, you know, I'm not going to have the things that I, I need when I need them. And, you know, for me, this was, this is something that, you know, has long been standing and even some of the, a lot of my clients that I work with, you know, mm-hmm. I grew up in a house where we never threw things away. Like we had all kinds of antiques and broken chairs and all these things. And, and they just stockpiled in the basement and in the garage. And so I, you know, I kind of grew up with this mentality that you don't throw things away. You never know when you're going to need something. Right. And so as my sort of yoga practice and, and discipline grew over the years, you know, I started looking in my closets and right, there's both like, there's a meta, like a, a metaphor here. There's, there's the gross, like physical, like in this world, you know, aspects to the, the, um, the limbs and the yamas and the yamas. And then there's also this sort of energetic, right kind of component. So really like going through and and cleaning out your closets. What are the things that you really need that you really use? And Mm. there's also this whole like, this is actually pretty, you know, a popular kind of conversation in mainstream culture around sort of minimalism Mm -hmm. and, you know, Maria Kondo and, and, and really assessing like the articles that I have, you know, in my life, do I need them? Do I use them? And then coming up with a kind of framework. Well, how do I know if I need this thing, right? Like, you know, for example, I had a grill set in my closet for seven years thinking like, because I used to have a backyard, like, what if I have a backyard again in the next like decade? (laughs) So these, these are like the ways that I've sort of Mm-hmm. It, t- it takes a lot of practice, right? Mm-hmm. And it's painful to let go of things that we don't necessarily think, you know, mm-hmm. that we've we've developed a certain attachment around. So, it, mm-hmm. you know, really having, and for me that meant, okay, well, as I'm sort of like trying to go through the things that um, I've been stockpiling or hoarding, <laughs> you uh-huh. know, for, for years and decades, do, you know, what is, sort of the how do I define if I need it or don't need it like when mm-hmm. is the last time I used this object was it more than two years ago yeah then I don't need it right mm-hmm. and that's a practice that you know you can do with with any tangible item that you have but also you know <laughs> what is some of these practice other practices that Angela talked about right in terms of um, well, she touched on sort of the purity or the cleanliness aspect, mm-hmm. but, um, Molly, before you go there, I think there's maybe value in just sticking with the first piece, this non-attachment, because that's a big one. Like you just, I mean, you know, my daughter is six years old and she has this desire to hoard this desire to keep 
everything. And when we talk about, you know, we're going to give this to a, you know, another child, you don't play with this anymore. This toy no longer has any, you know, you don't, but I don't, but I don't want to give it away. I want to keep it. What if I do want it someday? So there is definitely this instinct, this, and I think especially we're all at home right now. So we're all staring at our stuff and it is a time where people are looking to clean out their closets, which is a beautiful metaphor for emotional, psychological, spiritual, and literal growth. So you went through brilliantly a process of, okay, I'm going to look at an item as I'm going through. I remember you and I like two years ago went through this yeah. spontaneously. We did. Hilarious. I was, having, <laughs> I was looking at my books and for some reason, books to me are just very hard to like, like let go sure. of. Cookbooks, yeah. never going to open again. Let's be honest, mm-hmm. right? If I need well, to, until I COVID, <laughs> right? But even then, I go to Google. I just Google the recipe. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's insane, first of all. Yeah. But I'm like, you know, I don't want to let it go. And so, this is a really, you know, the minimalism. It's such a beautiful idea, and I love this concept of having five shirts that I, you know, because let's be honest, how many do we really wear? We wear like our favorite ten and recycle them. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, when you actually go to confront getting rid of. It can be very challenging. And then it brings up all of these issues of like, well, what is it that's making me have to keep this? What am I holding on to that I'm so afraid to, to really be willing to part with? Right. So why do I need stuff? It's, is it because I might someday, like you said, I need the grill set eventually. And I don't want to, I don't want mm-hmm. to waste. I think there's a part of us that has been trained. I know I have, you know, my great grandfather or my grandfather was a great depression. You know, that's what you do. You keep stuff in case you don't waste. Uh, so there's a part of us, I think culturally that have been taught that, but then there's this other thing, which is about like what, how much stuff we have, that it has value, that it means something about our value. Mm-hmm. And so this is a by itself, I think, an incredibly uh, helpful mm-hmm. conversation and just an important one to be having right now as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Angela, did you want to um, elaborate on that? Sure. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's hard with stuff because we attach um, meaning to it. <laughs> and um, you know, but it, it's the idea, like you said, of, of starting somewhere. So even if you start with cleaning out your closet and, um, you know, maybe you don't get to a skeleton closet right away, but just, mm-hmm. um, you know, this idea of starting to get rid of some things or donating things and thinking of that as like, well, I'm helping someone else out. Someone can use this stuff. I'm not using it. Right. So bringing in that active service that we've talked about, um, yeah. you know, I do something I try to do. I should say, uh, where it's a one in one out, right? So if I get something, then I try and give that thing also a way that I'm no longer using. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I think it's a process like everything else. So just like taking that first step and, um, you know, even if you just get rid of of a few things and then, you know, it's it's about asking like, well, well, why am I so attached to this thing? Or, you know, what what significance does it have to me? Um, and, and kind of, you know, reflecting on that, Molly, you mentioned journaling earlier. So, mm-hmm. you know, these things can overlap and, and um, mm-hmm. decide like, well, you know, is this something that, you know, how I was brought up, as you also mentioned, right? So this can go mm-hmm. in so many different um, directions. Uh, maybe, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't know, but like if, if um, 
you you know it's just something that was kind of the way your family you know operated and and then therefore that's how we exist and it's really hard to kind of break those um those patterns and those habits which we also spoke about um and you know in yoga there's this idea that uh, attachment to things brings suffering right Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we learn to let go and take little steps towards letting go, um, you know, we're getting closer and closer to the goal of the real yoga, right? Yeah. So in Buddhism, which I actually had studied Buddhism long before yoga, but Buddha was a yogi. So there's there's that. That's what the uh, a lot of the crossover in Hindu symbolism and, you know, um, people sometimes get confused about like what... Um, goddess is from what culture and it doesn't really matter they're principally very very similar Um, and this idea of non-attachment is obviously central to what mindfulness is about really this idea of non-judgment is really also non-attachment is being in the zero space and in buddhism i remember when i learned about the mandalas so if you don't know what this practice is it's very common in the buddhist tradition for you know, monks to spend days making these sand mandalas. You know, so we've all seen those gorgeous, like beautiful, what look like paintings and they're very, you know, ornate. And they're like these little tiny, um, these huge sort of like the, the circles. So you'll see the samsara, the circle of samsara, and it'll have all kinds of just like beautiful details. And they use a sand a tool so they take like very fine colored sand and they have to like very specifically it comes out in this little these little tiny specks to make this gorgeous creation and there'll be nine or ten monks sitting around and they stay up so they literally for days will do this right and this meditative practice and then at the end they have this gorgeous creation and oftentimes will try to take it outside or into the ocean and just let the wind blow it away. And I remember, again, this is the practice, so many practices that we're talking about in this very specific exercise, but it's really about non-attachment. Here we put our heart and soul labored over this gorgeous, and, 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 and it wasn't also, it's also not about the outcome. So we're not doing something just to get to the finish line. We're doing something for the process. At the end, we do have this beautiful creation that we all contributed to. However, being willing to let that go and let it be about the experience, the process and what the process gave me at the end of it all, it's just such a beautiful metaphor as well for this idea of non-attachment and the other side of that, which is attachment brings suffering. So. Certainly, I think we, the three of us, have a concept of that. But I wonder maybe if Molly, how you would explain that to somebody who doesn't maybe understand the relationship between uh, attaching to stuff and suffering. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, well, one of the one of the things I think that comes up a lot when we're working with clients is what is, and Angela mentioned this, what is my relationship to this object, to this person? You know, what is, what is the, you know, what is it about? What, it, what need is it filling in me, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, in exploring this sort of attachment, um, 
it's often about kind of con control, right? Which is a basic sort of human need to have some certainty, to have some control, especially when we're feeling out of control. And you've very, you know, you've also just described the, the opposite, right? So uh, often in assessing sort of these, you know, where am I landing in the practice of the yamas and the niyamas, it, it's, it's helpful to have kind of like an opposite, right? So if, you know, the, so the opposite of attachment is, is letting go, right? And, and the opposite of, of kind of Con control, right? Like gripping, tightness, pulling in, I need is, is also sort of, you know, relinquishing um, control or the need to dictate the outcome of something. So mm -hmm. that so, so when we, it, it's helpful to kind of then in the self-evaluative process, you know, understand, see that there's because this again we've we've been having this conversation now for weeks about the bat like balance right and you know finding sort of the space in between the polarities and is the language we use in in um in yoga right these opposites right mm -hmm. so <clears throat> it, it's often and and suffering right this idea of suffering right that we all experience pain when we are so tightly wound and attached to a person, place, or thing, you know, an idea, concept, right? That mm -hmm. this is what defines me. This is what makes me who I am. This person, this relationship, this job, this couch, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever it is, it, it's, it's trying to unpry that grip just a little bit. And Angela, you also, this is a process, right? You don't go from having a closet full of, you know, 20 years of um, grill equipment and, you know, my art supplies from college, right? To, as you said, a skeletal closet with two pairs of shoes, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's really about kind of chipping away and noticing how do I feel? You know, Sam Sam and I went through this kind of process years ago and it, it was, it was a process that we would check in with each other and, and how painful those first few steps are. Well, like, okay, so what am I gonna, you know, what don't I need? And you start kind of with these easy things, right? Mm -hmm. At first and like, okay, I definitely don't need that. You know, I don't need the felt pens that no longer have ink in them. Like I can get rid of those, right? Like um, I don't need these batteries that probably don't work and are leaking. Like I can get rid of those. Mm -hmm. But then it, when it comes to some of these like more difficult items, like swinging, you know, photographs, Okay, because those are really loaded. Like we're really attached to our memories, right? And and these sorts of like idealized <laughs> ideas about who we were, which inform who we are. And so, can you know? For me, I I ended up throwing out almost all of my photos. Um, you know, my mom still will have. I, my mom is still holding on to you know some of the childhood stuff from home and I trust that they're there and they'll be taken care of if I ever need those. But it's it in this this process, I think we both sort of noticed that, 
we talk about the other side, right? And and when that shift happened, when it became less painful until it was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. that was just this blessed, like I feel a relief. I feel a weight lifted off my shoulders. I feel, as Angela said, more in line with the ultimate goal of yoga. Who is my true self, right? I'm not, I'm not like, you know, wearing all of these clothes and masks, which is another, you know, part of the the eight limbs. Like, what are the masks that I'm wearing that I need to kind of define who I am so I can feel safe, right? It's letting go of each of these little things because ultimately this this question of suffering is that when you are super attached to something to make you feel better, to dictate kind of who you are and how you you live, that's you know, again, that's like, you're not going to win. I mean, that is truly painful, <laughs> right? That mm-hmm. somebody, these objects are what define me and this sort of, so it's this constant assessment. And one of my, my acupuncture teachers um, talks about this and that whatever the object is that I think that I'm so attached to, right? Asking am I too close to this thing or am I too far away from this thing? So where, where is my sort of investment in this object? Because, you know, one of the, do I need to, where in relation am I to this object? Do I need to bring myself closer into this object or is it too, you know, because I'm too far away from it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or is, or do I need to, um, push it, push it from me Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I, because I'm holding it to, I'm too attached to it. Molly, I think what you're dancing around, but is important to mention here. Um, And then I definitely want to hear from Angela on this too. When I think about why attachment brings suffering more than any other reason, it's about the past. So photos was a really clever way to, I think, really bring this into focus. You, we, we can lose sight of this because we practice these things. And so we all, of course, it's, we have layers, right? I mean, one of my favorite spiritual teachers, as I've mentioned already, let it go, Sam, drop it, get like, let it go. And that's the idea is when we're hanging on to the past, We are keeping ourselves from the future that we want. We are keeping ourselves from the present that we want and the future that we want. And this is why at Mind Movement, we talk about it in terms of past and future thinking. So we don't necessarily talk about the attachment part of it. We talk about the cognitive, the inner dialogue part of that relationship to those things. But the idea is like, and I have friends who they are so attached to the past. They live so much in the past that the things like photos or like their social media photo albums are so meaningful. But what they don't realize is in clinging to those experiences and those memories, they are literally grounding themselves in, the, in, the, in something they can no longer have. Past is gone. It's gone. It's not with us anymore. And when we 
keep it active within us day in and day out in our thoughts and emotions, what we don't know that we're doing, because we all have a future that we desire. We all have a place that we want to see in, in the ideal and also in this very practical way, like what's going to happen next week. What we don't know, though, is that between being afraid we're not going to get something we want. So the grill example, this idea that I'm going to I'm going to get into a situation someday where I'm going to need a grill <laughs> and then I'm going to go I should have kept that grill. It might be in 20 years from now, but you know, but I'm going to need it. So it's like, you know, in that way with the future or in that way with the past where it's like mm -hmm. I can't let go of this person. I can't let go of this thing that happened 15 years ago. Yeah. No, I can't let go of this person I lost. I can't let go. So you wind up living perpetually in a cycle of attachment to something that's gone or fear of something that has won't won't happen. Fear of something you want that you're not going to get. And then most people just that's where they live. Boom, 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 back and forth, back and forth. And what we're sort of talking about here is letting go of that. And and really just being in, in the most ideal way. I mean, this is where we're right, like you said the real self, living in our true self. This is an ideal, it is a, you know, obviously it's a practice every single day to try to embody that. But the idea is if we can let go of these things, we can experience our true self and our true state, which is, you know, and some might say joy or alignment or bliss or awakening, whatever, use, use your own, you know, your own language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, um, that process of kind of throwing things away out of the closet, right? It, we couldn't have known that we would feel so good, right? Because right. it was, it was so, it was so uncomfortable okay. sort of assessing these items and letting them go. And then at the, at, on the other side of that was this sort of weightless, like, I don't, I didn't need any of this shit. Like I didn't need it to make me feel safe, to define who I am, to feel good about myself. And so there was a huge opening and Angela talked about this too. One item in, one item out, right? Like what are, you know, and you can work with that ratio too, like one item in, two items out, right? Like what, because what happens when there's space, right? When you're, when you have now, there's a whole, if I let two items go for every item I take in, then there's there's space there, mm -hmm. right? Space that was occupied by a grill or photograph or whatever else that now, what do I, what does that space do? What does that mean? How does that feel? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Angela, did you want to? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I think space is a good place to start because you know, even though we're talking about physical space, we're talking about decluttering and cleaning and, but you know, what you're also mentioning is once this happens, how you feel lighter, right? You feel like you have more space. So it, it's not just in a physical sense, but it's also in a, you know, emotional sense or um, psychological sense or whatever the case may be. Um, so I think it, it, in a way, it frees us from being stuck. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like I, I think about my pre-pregnancy jeans. They're never going to fit again. <laughs> but they are still in the closet. <laughs> Probably time to donate them, right? Um, but that, you know, that's, that, that's just my personal example. Um, and I wanted to just say something about, you know, attachment and suffering. I think 
you know, another thought of mine is that, you know, when we reach for the thing, whatever it is, um, we talked about clothes, we talked about handbags, um, even if it's, let's look at substances, right? A lot of the clients that we deal with, um, I just want the joint, I want the glass of wine, the the thing, whatever the thing is, Mm -hmm. we continue to want more of the thing because the thing itself, right? The the material items, the substance, whatever, is not what actually um, makes us feel better. So we just continue to want more and more and more and it's a very vicious cycle. Um, But when we try on the opposite of of reducing and, uh, you know, making space and getting rid of things, <laughs> uh, we feel better, right? So this is an interesting idea, right? Of, um, you know, Sammy talked about bliss and joy and, and happiness, right? Like, so. Yeah, right, I, letting go. I mean, the, if I had to sum this up in one very, very simple way, it's just, you know, non-attachment, let go. Like Molly said, it's nice to have both. It's nice to have, you know, where are we going? Yeah. Okay. Sam, not attachment. What the hell does that mean? Well, really what it means is let go. So we pick up an item, you know, can you, if you look at that item and there's that, that inner knowing. So in your, you know, I always talk about the gut as the truth place. People talk a lot about their heart and their, their heart in their mind. You know, we talk about the intellect and how we feel, but a place that I like to draw a lot more tension is knowing and knowing for me comes from the gut. That's how, you know, when I truly need to come to terms with myself and say, look, at the end of the day, what do I know? For example, is this relationship really good for me? You know, what do I know? But what do I know? What do I know? know? What maybe I don't want to know. Right. So uh, Molly and I, the other Molly and I on Tuesdays talk a lot about relationships and how do I know when a relationship is over? Well, oftentimes we know, no, we, we do know. We just don't want to ask ourselves for that truth. But this is one of those, you know, kinds of opportunities where we can start, like you guys said, small, you know, you start with like the, the closet that has the stuff that you haven't worn since 1999, right? Or whatever. And, you know, you, that's where you start. You start with the stuff, you know, you're more okay. And then you work from there outside in and you can ask like in my gut of guts, what do I know? Do I need this? And if the answer is right away, no, then you know, the answer is I don't need this. It can go. And so I think there's a, also an element of honesty, truth, you know, um, and that is also a really healing and cathartic exercise because really what, you know, alignment is not just about non-attachment. It's all about allowing the truth or who we really are to emerge to the forefront and as Dana pointed out weeks ago on, in our time on Thursday, it was our true state. In yoga, we believe that our true state is that joy state. And so it's those attachments. It's that fear of the stuff in the future, the uncertainty, or those attachments to the past that actually keep us from our truth or our real state or that alignment that is happy that is peace, that is free. And so we don't know it, but by attaching and you use substances, which is like the ultimate or or people, I mean, the things that we can get physiologically addicted to tend to be the hardest because they literally hijack the reward systems of our biology. And so they can be, not that 
all of these things don't in some way, but those really intense attachments can be the hardest to let go of because right? We are, we're so stuck in it with those things. We're so in it. We don't, you know, we don't know how to get out as well. So this idea of, um, you know, okay, I want to let go. How, like, how do I begin to walk through that process? Um, many people that we work with or that maybe we don't even work with, but that have reached out to me, even in the last four or five weeks are really in it like they're in it, they're, they feel so stuck and sad and afraid. And so, you know, one of the things that I think yoga is best for is practicality. So these are wonderful concepts and they're, they're great, you know, for us to meditate on and for us to try to live each day. But Molly, you started out in this conversation talking about journaling, talking about, um, you know, like Angela, you suggested, you know, one in, one out, Molly, one in, two out, making space. So little by little, how do we start to really let something go? Uh, you know, so, and, and so maybe that would also be um, helpful is where do I start with this? Uh, obviously, we're talking about yoga, and one of the tools of yoga, one of the limbs of yoga is asanas and having an asana practice. So maybe we could just also start with that. If I'm interested in yoga, but I am a little intimidated by it or a little scared by it, where do I, where can I start? Where do I start if I want to maybe start to explore even more of the, the physical aspect of yoga. Um, and, and then in addition to that, in terms of like the pranayam, the breath stuff, is there also just an easy yogic, you know, starting point with that, that I can begin to use um, practically in my journey here? <laughs> so i mean we can talk about asana or we can talk about pranayama um they can pranayama so asana doesn't happen without pranayama right. right you need to connect to your breath in order to move in the postures mm -hmm. um but you know i, I think so pranayama is also integrally linked to sound or you know what we think of the om the first sound in the universe right um for us here in our gross form on earth right um pranayam is th the first thing that we do when we're brought into the world right when we we take a breath we come out of the womb we take a breath right? And then we make a sound, right? So those two things are, are integrally linked. Um, but for the majority of people, they have no idea how to breathe. <laughs> so um, it, it's actually almost the exact opposite of what most of us do. So if you're a smoker, you have a lot of anxiety, you're breathing short breaths in your chest, right? So one of the most basic um, exercises and I've I've got a couple up on the my movement YouTube site as well that are are really 
basic fundamental kundalini um not just kundalini but particularly to kundalini um, breath so if you want some real like one-on-one instruction that's a good uh, resource but um, learning how so what is prana i guess is also a good question here and when you think about first coming into the world right as a baby right out of your mom's uterus it's prana is our life force energy mm-hmm. <clears throat> it lives in the breath right so when and in my movement we talk a lot about this but yoga breath right manipulating the breath allows us to manipulate our thoughts right so there are like infinite different ways that we can manipulate the breath contain the breath um and then there's all kinds of different functions in terms of do i hold the breath in do i hold the breath out and how they can regulate our parasympathetic and 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 sympathetic nervous systems Mm -hmm. but um just in terms of like a very basic getting started in in regards to breath is learning to do a really full breath. So getting more familiar with the parts of your body that you're, that most people walking around are not using, they're not breathing. We're not breathing into our, our abdominal, our lower belly, and we're not breathing into the mid belly or the diaphragm, diaphragm area. Most of us just breathe shallow breaths here in the chest. So this, you know, Dr. Lisa talks about the full wave breath. I think we have a video of her also. um, This is an introduction into using both the belly, the mid, and the upper breath. Um, In Kundalini Yoga, there's something called the one-minute breath, right? And that also is about developing... um, lung capacity, but also our our internal sorts of capacities to maneuver and manipulate breath in order that we can maneuver and manipulate thought. Mm -hmm. And so also most people don't exhale fully. So, you know, both of those, both sides of it, most people are not inhaling fully, but then they're never letting it go. So you kind of have this constant like stuck (laughs) <laughs> like a stuck breath, like a chesty breath. That's, <laughs> you know, just hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, and it just, like you were saying, it fosters that sympathetic activation. So we don't even know it, but our breath is also sending the signal that we're not safe. And, you know, it's, um, it, it, it keeps us, as you said, in a compulsive kind of thought place or in a fear oriented thought place which again, doesn't allow for us to let go and move forward or move into the lives that we really want. Because, you know, there are some that teach that part of our suffering is about not keeping up with who we are now. That in every moment, every life experience we have is about becoming the fullness of who we are now. But we, like you mentioned earlier, we're so attached to these ideas about who we are. Oh, I'm this kind of person, or I'm an athlete, or I'm this, or I'm that. I'm a yogi. I, you know, and all of this at the end of the day winds up keeping us stuck because we get so attached to that, that 
we can't, we don't end up who we really are now, which is the evolved, most evolved version of ourselves now. And if we were just able to let go perpetually, myself certainly included, then we can really live and walk in the world we want most, which is really like that lines up with who we are now, not who we were yesterday. But this is a really, when I say this is not taught, I mean, it's like maybe the farthest concept from one that we are ever even inundated or, or ever even exposed to, forget about, um, you know, taught how to live in. But that's what this kind of all to me, like kind of, is leading us towards. It's sort of like each of these little limbs and practices and breath exercises. I mean, they're like these little tiny pieces that when you put them all together over time, give you more freedom to live as who you really are now in a more comfortable and kind of um, in a place of trust and, you know, allowing. Yeah. Angela, did you want to? Yeah. So breath, um, you know, I would say before yoga, I never even really thought about breath, right? It's something that we do all the time. It's involuntary. <laughs> we don't have to think about it. Um, but, you know, as you mentioned, when, when you start to focus on the breath, you know, what is the quality of the breath? Molly, you mentioned where are you breathing? Are you breathing into your stomach? Are you breathing into your chest or into your throat? Um, all of this is, is information, right? It's information about um, how are we feeling? You know, it, it could be simple, like sleepy or awake, or it could be, um, I'm feeling really anxious and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tight in my chest. And so, you know, it could also give us information as to how, um, what is our mood like, right? Um, so when we start to bring our attention to the breath, that is where a lot of this kind of self-study <laughs> in, in, a, in a very basic way. Um, but, you know, never really thought about the breath until I started taking yoga. And, you know, where to start yoga without actually taking a class, you know, I don't know. I think you have to do some yoga in order <laughs> to start yoga. But there, there's so <laughs> many. <laughs> but there's so many different types, right? Like there's, there's the power yoga, right, for those of us that are athletes and want to work out and we want to sweat and we want like high energy and people you know music and crowd and um and then there's you know yin and restorative where we're basically just stretching and resting and really um tapping into a, a you know more of a, a down regulating practice so and everything in between right um so you know i would say that yoga has a, a wide range and it, it's about like dabbling in different forms and what form resonates with you in the beginning and that may shift over time you know um but just, you know, finding some type of, of yoga practice that you connect with, because there are elements, as you said, that are threaded throughout, right? So yeah. breath being one of them. So one video, so we're at time, you guys, which is unbelievable. Uh -huh. Already? That went fast. But um, <laughs> one video that I think has, a, just to me, it's very short. It's by Satguru, um, you know, which like him or not, this video talks about yoga, the asanas, and their significance in this, in the in the tradition in the wisdom tradition of yoga, and I think it's such a beautiful video for anybody, no matter what side of the yogic teaching realm you're in, or what your lean is or favorite type of yoga. Whether you just do hot yoga because it's exercise, or you're, you know, someone who's way in inundated with the more spiritual sides of yoga, um, you know. This video I think is lovely. So you can find it on our website in the yoga section. 
Um, and it's, I think, somewhere right up at the top. It's just, you know, you can't miss it. It's a video by Satguru and it's just lovely. And it talks about the asana practice and what it means and um, why it's a part of the, the culture of, um, of these teachings. And so, but I do think you're, you said it very well. <laughs> can't really do yoga without some form of yoga practice. However, that can be something as simple as sun salutations. Just starting with like a basic, you know, um, how-to video on any of our site or any other site. Uh, just learning how to begin to think about being led, right, through these movements by somebody outside of you. Hopefully you take a class in the world once this is all over. Um, yeah, thank you guys. What a rich conversation and so helpful. And I knew that there's just, there, there's so much richness in these teachings that we could probably spend the next year every Thursday just talking about the limbs. So um, I appreciate you guys so much and these conversations are so helpful for me and I hope for other people too. Thank you. Um, have a really safe and wonderful rest of your day and um, we'll talk to you guys soon.